is there. A wild donkey on heat, sniffing the wind, sleeping with prostitutes, waiting for lovers. See, why does God use sexual faithfulness to describe spiritual faithfulness to his people? See, other than God, there are no greater influences on our lives than money and sex. Yet there is a difference, and that is felt at a personal level. Whilst money is largely impersonal, sex is deeply personal. It is about giving of oneself, whereas money is not. See, it is bound up with covenant relationships, promises, fidelity, and bringing new life into the world. Sex is the gift through which intimate pleasure in someone else is expressed. Pick up your Bible and read Song of Songs. Okay? If you're a little bit conservative, get ready. Have a glass of sherry next to you to calm your nerves. It's another book by Solomon. And it's given that title, Song of Songs, to convey the fact there is no greater song. It really is the song above all songs. And this book will give you a flavor and insight into the pleasures to come out of covenant lovers between a shepherd king and his bride. Look out for the illusions in there. But adultery is more... Uh, but in adultery, more is happening than simply uh, ruining ple- um, our sexual pleasure that we get from physical gratification. It's ultimately an act of betrayal. See, it cuts deeper than any other transgression as it breaks trust and undermines covenant faithfulness which is the context, the very context and foundation for intimate love. Are you all aware of Newton's third law? Quick show of hands. Obviously not, I need to educate you people. For every action, you'll have heard it, for every action there is an equal, did you know this? Good, I'm I'm glad the people in control of power stations know, know a little bit about this stuff. It says, for every action... There is an equal and opposite reaction. Well, this can also be said about the forces of infidelity. So not only does sexual unfaithfulness cause pain, but because of the deep significance sex has to faithfulness and the enjoyment of another, it causes an equal and powerful reaction. And this is a fundamental truth Because we see it regardless of whether or not we're married. Solomon's wisdom in Proverbs highlights it. Wrath is cruel. Oh man, wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. Too much. But who can stand before jealousy? Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? See, it might seem obvious to state, but if you want to know the destructive force of unfaithfulness, then you need only look at the equal and opposite force of jealousy. Jealousy causes the biggest reaction because unfaithfulness is the gravest act. Excuse me.
as so much is at stake, we need to be aware of those dangers. The dangers of temptations that would lead us to commit covenant unfaithfulness. Well, within the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, which we have been looking at and referring to, Solomon writes as a father to his, uh, warning his son about the da- dangers of sexual temptation. And there's plenty to learn from these chapters, but just for now we'll look at uh, chapter 7 together. So if you have your Bibles, take, uh, turn to Proverbs 7. And if anybody finds it first in the church Bible, please call out the n- page number. 640. See, as we take a brief look at these verses, <clears throat> though there's obvious applications uh, in regards to man and sexual temptation, be aware that it is written in such a way as to allude to other things that would tempt us. So as we read, let's keep in view our broader picture of covenant faithfulness, which refers to both our marriage and God and his people. And we'll read straight through from verses 6 to 23 together, straight through, because it paints a a complete portrait of a young man who ends up taking a journey that eventually leads to his death. Now, I am reading in ESV, so I apologize if you can't follow word for word, but um, they have some sort of um, commonality, so you'll be able to follow. So verse 6. For at the window of my house... I have looked through, the lat- uh, through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youth, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, What a surprise. Dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart, she is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with a bold face says to him, I had to offer sacrifice, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you. To seek you eagerly. Oh, I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, and at full moon he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him, and with her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. There are six lessons I want to point out from these verses. Six lessons for all of us. Number one, he is oblivious to the fact that someone can see him. It is through the lattice. He is unaware. He thinks he is alone. Number two, he plans and takes a route to a place 
that he shouldn't be and goes too near to his temptation, verse 8. Number three, he chooses to go at a time when his activity can go unnoticed, verse 9. By carrying out points two and three, he is now at the mercy of the woman, verse 13. See, he is not in control of the situation, yet he is not innocent in this. There is no excuse for him because he is exactly where he wanted to be. Five, he is swayed by her words and promises through verses 14 to 21. She says she wants him as if he was the one to fulfill her needs. But we know that this flattery is shallow. She has had many others. Verse 15. She offers him a safe way to indulge his desires without any consequences. Verses 19 and 20. And number six. He becomes like an animal to the slaughter. His flirtation ends up in his death. Well, this man is oblivious in the beginning that someone is watching him and he is oblivious at the end to the fact that he's masterminded his own death. A couple of chapters before in Proverbs 5 says, A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. God is aware of all that we do. Nothing is hidden from him. And we should learn from this young fool. Stay well clear of temptation. Be aware that the right place at the right time is really the wrong place at the wrong time. And isn't that wisdom? Isn't that what we've learned of wisdom? It's less about being intellectually sound and having academic knowledge and much more to do with discerning what is right and wrong. Well, if though you find yourself staring into the face of temptation, be wise enough to recognize the shallowness of its promises. And this is really hard at this point, because you're at the mercy of temptation. You've put yourself in a situation you cannot come out of yourself. However... The situation isn't necessarily lost. Wisdom can still save you at this point. Instead, have a heart that wants to stay at home, to be accountable, especially when it's our twilight. See, the underlying answer for covenant faithfulness is very, very simple. To keep ourselves from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with a smooth word, Look to the answers in verses 1 to 4. My son, keep my words and treasure. Value my, up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend. See, the antidote to the problem is not willpower, because that will fail. It is treasuring the word of God and his wisdom. Willpower is only needed 
to fight against things that we desire, to fight against things. But to truly fear and know God is to have a heart that is in in an increasing measure desires him. Therefore, covenant faithfulness becomes not a fight, but a pursuit. And we can see this knowledge-heart connection, knowing and then loving, when the Father returns in verses 24 and 25. To listen to his words means to affect the place from where our desires come from. To safeguard it from wanting, desiring uh, to turn aside to temptation's ways. See, as we immerse ourselves in God's word and we see him through it, we will be changed. We will begin to understand and see the love that God has for us in Jesus Christ. But what happens when we do fail? That's all well and good. We are sinners and we're susceptible to sin. Well, when we fail, there is the grace of God, the power to forgive. Matthew 5, in the Gospel, according to Matthew, verse, uh, chapter 5, Jesus teaches a harder lesson. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Covenant unfaithfulness doesn't begin in somebody else's bed. It is found within the heart. And I have a suspicion that Matthew 5.28 will almost certainly condemn every man in this school hall this morning. Lustful desires violate the marriage covenant. And so a heart that desires for anything above and outside of God violates God's covenant also. What will stop God filing for divorce? What will stop our inevitable slide to death where the forbidden woman's home is? Because if there is an answer to this, then there is certainly hope for our own marriages that have been damaged by unfaithfulness. If God can provide a solution to our own unfaithfulness towards him, then the shadowy copy of that reality seen in marriage can also have hope too. Thankfully, God is a faithful God. He does not quit on his bride. He does not go back on promises. In fact, God's love for his spouse causes him to pursue her in spite of her unfaithfulness. That beautiful but marred picture of marriage is continued on through into the New Testament where we see God in Jesus Christ establish a new marriage covenant with his people. A new marriage covenant. A new marriage with new vows, new commitments founded on the faithful work of Jesus Christ through his life death and resurrection. Where Israel could not keep the covenant vows, this new contract gives his bride, that is, the church, both the means and the grace to be true to this covenant. There are many great things to be said about this covenant, but in closing, I just want to mention three very quickly. Firstly, in this new covenant, there is grace to forgive. 
God will not threaten divorce when we fail, when we slip up and are unfaithful to him. Know that the heavenly husband has written into the marriage contract that though the expectation is whole life commitment and faithfulness, our sin when we fall will not be used against us. The husband has already paid the penalty fee for those transgressions. And so too. As Christ loves the church, husbands are to love their wives. If Christ forgives us, then we too must be willing to forgive um, our others, our spouses. A forgiveness that does not hold on to previous sins and hold it against one another. Instead, a forgiveness that leads to restoration and renewed relationships like that which we enjoy with Jesus. Secondly, the church is his joy. Christ died for her. He is not looking to anyone else. He seeks delight in those that love him. Those that who have accepted that new marriage contract to honour and obey in sickness and in health for the rest of their lives. Therefore, to devote ourselves exclusively to our spouse, with one exception, our primary devotion to Jesus, is simply living out and echoing that wonderful truth that God loves you with a jealous love, with an an exclusive love. And by doing so, we are glorifying the God in all his wisdom. Thirdly and finally, covenant faithfulness exemplified in Jesus, is possible for us. He has given us his spirit that we may expect to be changed. See, without his spirit, the words of wisdom remain on the page. But the spirit takes them from there and plants them in our hearts, which, funnily enough, is exactly where we need them to go if we are to truly have new desires. Therefore, pray that his spirit may fill you and me. If there is anyone here that is struggling with temptations, whether it's lust or anything else, whether it is to do with marriage or your relationship with God, tell someone. Please tell someone. In fact, learning from the story in Proverbs 7, you might not be struggling at all but instead intentionally playing with fire. Regardless, confide in someone. For we are not to judge one another, but to help one another. To be caught in temptation's way is nothing less than to place your soul in real danger. And as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we are told to hold out a hand for them to grab. So that by God's truth and wisdom, we may keep each other on the path that leads to eternal life. Every praise should be to Christ. He is our ever faithful and ever loving covenant God who loves us with a jealous and exclusive love. Let us do likewise with him. Amen.